Welcome to this video class brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ. Please have your Bible ready. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. Now we believe God was speaking through the Apostle Paul to Timothy and for our learning today. 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25. I want to start with verses 17 through 19. And after we cover those verses, we'll move through the remaining part of the chapter. 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 19. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, we have learned previously in 1 Timothy that elders are men qualified by the teaching of the Holy Spirit given back in chapter 3, and these men serve as overseers in the local church charged with watching and caring for souls. Now, just that much is deserving of honor. If they also preach and teach, they are worthy of the additional honor of financial support or wages. Where men serve well and with such intense workload, they are not only overseeing, but preaching and teaching on a regular basis, this principle kicks in. This can be done. And it's based on a principle of work that you discover back in the Old Testament. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. These principles can be called principles of compensation for work done. And these principles were part of the Old Testament. Jesus repeated them, and they are applied in the New Testament to preachers, and here to preachers who may also serve as elders. Now, let no one think this is a means of getting rich. Rather, it is the divine principle of fair compensation for work done. The laborer deserves his wages. Now there is another matter Timothy is to be aware of and careful about in his dealings with his brethren and elders in particular. It says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Let me say, let me say it is never a good practice to impulsively throw out charges and criticism. No matter who you're talking about, your friends, your neighbors, your wife, your husband, your kids, your co-workers, other church members, the preacher, the elders, to impulsively criticize or accuse is never a good practice. We need to be clear about that. Evidence, objectively considered, can lead to an approach to someone who is guilty, but not 
just on an impulse. Part of that greater moral law is this specific for Timothy and for all evangelists. If I may put it crudely, don't talk bad about your elders. First, no good is accomplished. Second, you have failed to show respect. Third, you may hurt the man and his family. Fourth, you may tear a local church apart. And fifth, you may embolden others who are critical of the whole church. Don't talk bad about your elders. Now, should there be a specific issue or sin or error or negligence that needs to be addressed, still, don't just fly off the handle or speak or act impulsively. Listen to the charge only when it is accompanied by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Uh, this has no fog over it or complication to it. It says to Timothy, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. I tell young preachers, memorize this verse because at some point in your preaching, somebody will come to you to complain about the elders. Read this verse to them and demand the, uh, the evidence that is required anytime a charge is made toward anybody. Funny how this works most of the time. If somebody has a complaint about the preacher, they very often go to the elders. If somebody has a complaint about the elders, they usually go to the preacher. The preacher's response is given right here in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 19. I will speak a little further of this later. When you think you have a complaint against someone, elder, preacher, or another member, take some time to prayerfully weigh the substance of the matter. It is a sin to simply make an accusation without weighing prayerfully evidence. If there's something going on against Scripture, if there is sin, a response is called for, but not just any response. Prayerfully consider the evidence. Then once it is determined that there is something of substance, make certain there is sufficient evidence again, in this case, two or three witnesses. All of this we're looking at here in these three verses goes to the peace, the good relationships that should prevail among God's people. The laborer deserves his wages and be extremely careful about criticism and charges. Verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them <clears throat> in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. The ideal is for Christians who form a local church to be holy, to avoid sin, to grow in their love for God and their love for each other and bring sinners to the Lord. We don't always get the ideal because people are 
endowed with the capacity of choice, and even after baptism, sometimes wrong choices are made, which amount to persisting in sin. Sin must be addressed by evangelists, by elders. Some people say, just give us what is pleasant from the pulpit, what's interesting, entertaining, easy to digest, and peaceful. The Bible's description of a preacher's work is clear and urgently stated, sin must be addressed. You don't have to be ugly, insulting, or self-righteous, but you have to use God's word, preacher, to clearly and specifically expose what is wrong. Sin cannot be left to spread and grow. It says here, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. The horror and tragedy of sin is something everybody needs to hear about in the clearest terms. We ought to be afraid of sin and be thankful to elders and preachers who put us on alert, who challenge us, who rebuke us, and make certain we know what God has said. So it says here, rebuke them in the presence of all. Verse 21 is a very important part of this whole context. It says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Now, here's a problem that may emerge in many forms among human beings. Favoritism. You can see sin in your enemies, but you overlook sin in your friends. Or you skip the evidence step and just attack someone you don't like. Favoritism has no place in the kingdom except for all of us living in the favor of God. Timothy is to follow all these instructions without showing favoritism, without prejudging. And to this, Paul adds, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. The laying on of hands was a customary practice back then when appointing someone to a specific function or work. Timothy was not to do that impulsively or without good prayer and thought, lest he become a participant in the sins of others. In all these matters, he was to keep himself pure. Verse 23 no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Let's be careful as we navigate this verse. While Timothy was a young man, perhaps late 20s, early 30s, he was not in good health. He suffered from frequent ailments. Apparently, before Paul wrote this, Timothy was a total abstainer from wine. He drank only water. Paul wanted him to know it was all right to drink a little wine for medicinal purposes. 
Now, let me state what this is not. This is not stopping at the convenience store every day after work for a six-pack or making all the rounds at the nightclubs. This is a little wine for medicinal purposes. Verses 24 and 25. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Sin does not always manifest itself in exactly the same way. The sins of some are conspicuous right before your eyes. No doubt, that's sin. People sin openly, heading for judgment, but not always. In other cases, there may be thoughts or interest in sin within a person, yet the sinful behavior doesn't manifest itself till later. In regard to good works, they are conspicuous. Good works in their very nature cannot be hidden. I believe this is to help Timothy in his dealings with people and his teaching to be aware that sin operates in different ways in different people. Let's go to some takeaways. A lot of this is about fairness, isn't it? Being even-handed, not impulsive, not quick to take action, but thoughtful. We must not be remiss in properly honoring and appreciating elders and being fair in our dealings with everyone. Something else I want to mention. Once a preacher or church starts down the pathway of ignoring sin, minimizing sin, not speaking of it openly. There is a short distance into complete apostasy and abandonment of God. So let's give heed to 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25. Thank you for listening.